0: It's time to get after it. You're going to jam your legs down and hyperextend your ankles and then shoot back up and lock your knees in place.
1: Not one of those things sounds right to me.
0: Welcome into the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I am your host, Jack Anderson. Hope everything is going well for you in the midst of these uh, troubling times. Uh, to get you through another hour of quarantine, I'm going to be bringing you another coach, and this one is our Wednesday edition, of course. Christina Ushakova is joining the program, and Christina is a, currently just graduated East Tennessee State University, ETSU, where she was an athlete on the weightlifting team there, and in addition to being a coach and assisting with a lot of the research projects uh, being undergone there, uh, by the faculty at ETSU. Christina recently accepted a position as a high-performance intern at U.S. Ski and Snowboard in Park City, Utah. Unfortunately, obviously due to the coronavirus that is that is on hold, so she was kind enough to come on and make a little time to talk about um, her experience in the field so far, how she chose grad, her grad school, and how she got into strength and conditioning and kind of learned that there was more to it than uh, some of the simpler models she had been given early on in her um, oh, athletic career. Uh, in addition, we have a great conversation about the status of female strength coaches in the industry, uh, where they are right now, what the perception of them is, and how we can continue to create opportunities for them. Christina was awesome, a lot of passion, a lot of energy. This is the first time I had uh, connected with her, and I'm sure it won't be the last. She was great. Without further ado, Christina Ushakova. Christina, thank you so much for uh, for coming on to the show. Really appreciate your time. Um, obviously, our Wednesday edition, we try to bring on some young coaches, and I realized the other day I hadn't brought on any females, a gross oversight on my part, so uh, I just wanted to make sure that we could get uh, someone in with your perspective. Uh, how's it going today?
1: Good. I'm super stoked to be on the show. Honestly, quite honored to be on a podcast as a 24-year-old uh, developing strength coach, so I really appreciate you for bringing me on, and um, Thank you to Kevin for connecting us and uh, allowing this to happen.
0: Hey, that's been the beauty of uh, the whole, this whole coronavirus situation. I mean, I've connected with more coaches in the last two weeks than I probably have in my whole career. Um, and it's not been for lack of trying at other times in my career. It's just everybody has time now. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so before we get really into it, I noticed we, uh, on Instagram like about an hour ago before, uh, before we got on the phone, um, I noticed you had the uh, Daniel Kahneman book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, and then you posted something about Sapolsky yesterday. All these things are speaking to my heart. Um, are you are you a, a more of a podcast uh, or a book person, like, like book person, presentation on YouTube person? Like, what do you do for your, your continuing
1: ed? Quite honestly, I do a little bit of everything. Um, I go through phases where I'm just consuming a bunch of podcasts, especially when I have a commute or I'm traveling. And there's other times where I just want to drive in silence and I read <laughs> a book. Uh, If I'm listening to a video on YouTube um, and doing that kind of educational content, usually it's in the morning when I'm eating breakfast or when I'm just doing something in the kitchen or around the house and I want to listen to something and be somewhat productive with that silent time. So um, yeah, a little bit of everything, but as of lately, it's been YouTube videos and some books.
0: Yeah, um, it's funny. I think about this because you you said, does anyone else read three or four books at a time? And I currently have... I think two on my Kindle one on two on an audible four hard copies of like just different books and I'm reading them all at once and like I know some people are probably like geez like get it together man like what are you doing but I I find that to be like super helpful I don't know about you like just to have multiple things going at once.
1: Yeah, usually one book that I have is more of a heavy read that requires a lot of thinking and processing and reflecting that I can only consume in small chunks. Right now, that's thinking fast and slow. Yeah. I've been reading that one for probably three weeks and I'm about halfway done. Um, and then I like to have just a quick, easy page turner uh, and then a couple other things here and there. Right now, I have three open books that are like physical copies and then one on the Kindle. So,
0: yeah, my no, I. The
1: uh... goal for the coronavirus is to. To finish the ones I've started, and then start some new ones. Of course, I already have a list of ones I want to read, but I'm refraining. This is
0: this is my problem. I get so hyped. Like I get halfway through books, and like I'm not going to lie. Like all the books I read are usually very insightful, and I get something good out them. Out of them, but like it just feels like sometimes I'm like, okay, I get the point of this one, and this other one I want to read so bad, so I just start it, and then I get stuck in this vicious cycle of being halfway through every book I'm on. So yeah.
1: no, I absolutely <laughs> relate to that.
0: Um, uh, all right. All right. Let's get to the serious stuff here. Um, so just take me in depth a little bit with your your career and just how you got into strength and conditioning um, and then kind of where you hope to go. And obviously, this coronavirus has wreaked havoc on both of our plans here in the last couple of weeks. But uh, just take me through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess my my desire to get into coaching started when I was a senior in high school. I played sports my whole life, um, playing lacrosse, field hockey, and ice hockey. In my senior year, I stopped playing sports, and I started doing CrossFit. Um, and through CrossFit, I found this coach that I really connected with, and he really, really inspired me. And I basically just wanted to emulate him in every way I could as a young 17 year old. And so I asked him what he went to school for and he said he studied exercise science. And I didn't know at the time that that was even an option. I thought you had to do athletic training or PT. And I wasn't so interested in the rehab side of things. Uh, So that was what helped me pick my undergrad major and focus. And then uh, I ended up going to UVM for my undergrad and uh when i was at uvm i was competing in crossfit and i was training at a gym and during that time i went and i got my crossfit level one and i wanted to coach crossfit and so i asked the affiliate owner if he would be interested in setting up some sort of apprenticeship program for me and basically training me to coach at his gym and he said yes and we had this kind of loose plan underway and he went on vacation and he came back from vacation and he sent me this long email and he said essentially the gist was kind of forgot you were 19 and truthfully i don't really think people are going to respect you as a coach and i don't think this is a good idea so i'm reverting on
0: jeez
1: i'm reverting on my agreement and offer to allow you to coach at the gym and I was absolutely crushed, but in hindsight, it was probably the best no I've ever gotten in my life. Um, I thought of it as this huge failure at the time, but now I look back on it and kind of laugh with gratitude uh, because what happened after that is really kind of where the story begins. Um, One of the members at the gym was a strength and conditioning coach, and he connected me with um, Mark Hickok at UVM, who is the director of athletic performance there. And he said, hey, I know you're not able to coach at the CrossFit gym, but why don't I introduce you to Mark and maybe you can set up an internship with Mark. And I was like, oh, cool. I I had never thought to go the strength and conditioning route. Sure. Why not? So I sat down with Mark um, and Mark gave me the best possible introduction to strength and conditioning. He basically told me that I was a rarity because I was a female and that I needed to use that as a superpower and kind of wield that uh, in any way I could because I had the capacity to connect with certain athletes that him and his male colleagues felt that they struggled to connect with. And he was very intentional about the teams he had me work with. He had me start out with a female team. I worked with the basketball team. Then he had me work with women's lacrosse. I did some track and field work, which is nice because it's a co-ed team. Then I worked with men's soccer, and then just before I was leaving, I worked with men's lacrosse, so he kind of slowly integrated me into the system to make sure that I was feeling comfortable in the you know the coaching setting that I was in and so
0: I'm usually- still not comfortable coaching men's lacrosse, but,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but- <laughs> well, I grew up playing ice hockey, so I was kind of used to that like. <laughs> For lack of a better word douchey bro mentality um, <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so, Yeah. I'm really glad that I grew up with a nice hockey background for that reason but uh yeah so I think he did a really good job being intentional um, in my development coaching and then uh, between my junior and senior year of my undergrad um, I ended up going down to East Tennessee State University to do an internship with uh, dr. Brad Dewes that works with um Bobsled, skeleton, and luge athletes, and he's the high-performance director of their uh, Olympic training site down there. And he was at Lake Placid previously, uh, which is kind of how we have our shared connection with Kevin. Um, but uh, the reason I ended up at ETSU was because one of my undergraduate physiology professors uh, inspired the heck out of me. He went from being a like 240-pound bodybuilder when he was in his early twenties to being a 150 pound ultramarathoner when he was teaching me at the time. So basically he took his, his career to experiment on himself and see what extremes he could, he could go to with his own body. And that, that really fired me up. Um, and so him and I connected and he said, hey, I have this friend Brad DeWeese down at ETSU. I think you would like him. I wanna put you on a phone call with him. Would you be interested? And I was like, well, yeah, I could I could get on the phone with him. But do you think he'd let me just come down for the summer? And he was like, well, I don't know, I guess I'll ask. And so luckily Brad said yes. And uh, I went down to ETSU for the summer, worked under his supervision, worked with the weightlifting team and found some really amazing mentors. And they had a grad program there. So basically, since my internship there, my plan was come back here, go to grad school. I already have started forging these relationships with these people and these mentors, and I want to continue on this momentous path with them. So I put all my eggs in one basket (laughs) in terms of grad school. Uh, It was ETSU or nothing. So luckily, that worked out in my favor. In hindsight, maybe it wasn't the best strategy, but it just felt like the right program for me, and I, I just loved the people down there. So yeah, that's how I ended up at ETSU, and then I just wrapped up in december so done with grad school so now i'm kind of on the market looking for the next thing um wanting some more formal education to bridge into full-time positions so looking out for internships and other opportunities right now
0: that's awesome that's i really like um that you were able to take the perspective like with the whole crossfit fiasco um and and turn it into something like that what did you do to kind of um obviously so said you didn't really know much about exercise science. All of a sudden it gets presented to you. It sounds like you're kind of really a take the bull by the horns type person. You go right in and set something up with the CrossFit gym. It fails. You go right on it over to, to something else over at UVM. Um, what obviously CrossFit and strength conditioning are kind of different in some sense. Like there's similarities of course. Um, but I, I think from just like, it's almost like a different profession sometimes when you talk from like professional to professional across those, uh, those disciplines. So how did you kind of like stumble across into strength and conditioning? Was it just the contact you had over there at the CrossFit gym or like what kind of like got you down that path?
1: Oh yeah. No, that's a great question. I love that. Um, as a CrossFitter, I, I always was skeptical of the training method. Um, it worked right to a point, like any kind of random program that comes out of a hopper. Um, (laughs) It works as well as it can for a novice trainee, and you know, I saw great results. And then I started to get a little bit more curious about the training methods and principles. And uh, I started to kind of ask the coaches in the gym why this, why that. And aside from what they teach you in the CrossFit training courses, I wasn't getting the answer I really wanted. So I was always curious, and that was why I went down the exercise science path. And I'm really glad I did because. I knew nothing about basic training principles at the time. I remember the first time Mark took me in his office, and he was talking about uh, triphasic training and different training phases. And he like was talking to me like I knew what he was talking about, and I was sitting there in my chair like, "Oh my gosh, I have no idea what this person's talking about." <laughs> and I was like, um, "I don't really know what you're talking about."
0: And oh he was like, gosh. Hey,
1: you don't no one taught you this? I mean, I was a sophomore in college, but I they don't really go into program design, you can't really take a strength and conditioning course until your junior or senior year. Yeah. So I hadn't really been exposed to that. And he was like, Oh my gosh, we have so much to teach you! This is great, <laughs> but no, I mean, CrossFit, despite having gone to the, the, the training course they do over the weekend, I really had no exposure to basic training principles
0: that's, so it's funny. A lot of what you're saying is a lot like my experience when I went into my grad program. So my undergrad, I mean, full transparency, I was a political science major and, uh, lifted on my own and thought I knew a lot of stuff. And then I go to get my, you know, my, my master's like three or four years after school, because I decide this is what I want to do. And I, I show up at a D1 weight room to help out, you know, and, uh, and, and my boss, Sergio's there and he, you know, coach Marino. And he's like, okay, we're going to do this uh, and superset it with that. And I'm like, I've never heard of like 90% of the stuff that you just put on the sheet. Like, where are the back squats? What's going on here, you know? Um, yeah. uh, um, and so I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Uh, just that, that kind of shock. Uh, on the flip side, though, too, like with CrossFit, it's funny. And I'm, you could speak to this way better than me. But, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. CrossFit is not my favorite thing in the world. And I think a lot of strength coaches absolutely detest it. But there, you, there is something to be said, I think, for the dopamine that just people love it, man. Like they just love it, you know, even if it's not the soundest thing in the world, sometimes if you can at least marry some of your principles to that, uh, depending on the athlete you're working with, like it's not, it could, might not end up being the worst thing in the world, right?
1: No, and it's it's the community I think that's the thing that draws people in about CrossFit is that you're suffering alongside other people and even though <laughs> you might be doing the RX or prescribed version of the workout, the person next to you might be 70 years old and might be doing, I mean, really a similar stimulus and similar desired outcome, but com- maybe different movements, different loads, different implements, and so I think that's the beauty of CrossFit is that it is infinitely scalable and, and there's something about that community aspect that brings people together and really keeps them engaged for the long term.
0: Yeah, and you and you it's funny too, you have these crowds of people, I think in all and you know, you take the the giant umbrella of exercise professionals and you, you know, they're like, oh we need to go exercise, but not CrossFit, you know, like so many of them that aren't in the CrossFit size. It's like, okay, yeah, but we've proven time and again that like exercise is beneficial mm-hmm. and even if it's not your choice of exercise and maybe there's some things that don't jive with like what we know now about exercise, it doesn't mean that it's, you just throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, to use a phrase from the 1850s.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think like you said, like going out to exercise and train with other people in the industry, maybe you don't end up doing the thing that you like to do or the thing that best suits your strengths. But there's something to be said about just working out alongside other people. And I think that through this whole pandemic that's happening, I think we're realizing that, that, you know, we need community and we need social interaction more than ever, even if it means we're doing it on Zoom in our own homes. But socially and physically, we need to continue to connect with other people.
0: Yeah, just do something, people, you know, just do something. (laughs) Um, um, uh, No, this is this is really great stuff, uh, Christina. So uh, I this is one that I asked Kevin as well, because Kevin really meticulously kind of plotted out his grad school applications yeah. and where he wanted to go and all that stuff. I was the complete opposite and was just like, oh, I have friends in Buffalo. There's a D1 hockey team there. Like, that's where I'm going. Like, that's kind of how I picked mine with very little, uh, in, like, research. What So it sounds like you just kind of went with ETSU and rolled with it. But um, just take me a little more in depth. Were there other options on the table for you for that? Um, and then in terms of when you did pick it, Um, just maybe a little more in depth about why you did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so like I said earlier, I kind of had these relationships in place that I had built during my internship there. So I was feeling really connected to the community. Um, I had two mentors in particular, uh, John Waggle who now works with uh, the Kansas City Royals. He's the minor league strength and conditioning coordinator over there. Um, and he was a PhD student at the time. And he was also the internship coordinator at ETSU. So I was super fired up to come back and work with him. And then um, Aaron Kunanen who also just finished the doctoral program there, and is now the sports science minor league sports science coordinator for the San Francisco Giants. So they're both out in Arizona right now. Um, But they were my two mentors. Aaron was a weightlifting coach on the OTS weightlifting team and he he took me under his wing during my internship and he would spend an hour or two with me in the weight room every day after my internship was over uh, teaching me, coaching me in the lifts and he convinced me to do a weightlifting meet. He convinced me to try out for the Olympic training site weightlifting team at ETSU because they offer scholarships to master's students and so um, in addition to wanting to go back, just because of the, the education they offer, which really specifically caters to strength power development and the application of block periodization for team sport athletes, and then some of the stuff Brad does um, with uh, speed development, it just seemed like a perfect place to continue on just accumulating those basic training principles and learning how to adapt and apply them in different settings um, but yeah, once I found out I made the weightlifting team, I found out I got into the grad program, I had a scholarship to go there and lift. It was really, the cards aligned and there really wasn't.
0: Yeah, you couldn't say no. <laughs> yeah,
1: there was nothing else I was interested in, entertaining and I don't know, looking back on it, the weightlifting part of things, I don't know if I did it for the right reason. Um, I felt like a big motivator for me in pursuing weightlifting competitively at that time was so that I could selfishly use it in my coaching um, and use that experience as something I brought forward into coaching settings. And I'm so glad I did. I don't regret one bit of that. It was... It was a tremendous learning experience for me to be a full-time athlete, if you will, uh, and be required to show up for twice a day training sessions. And another thing that was really eye-opening that I didn't really realize when I committed to this was I was gonna be doing testing and monitoring every single week. I was gonna be doing ISO pulls, jumps, ultrasound monitoring, trying to think of what else we did for monitoring but basically like you come into the lab you're you're given a schedule and a time you have to be there people poke you and prod you and you know you're, i just like at one point i felt like this lab rat that like was under a microscope as
0: like, you were <laughs> yeah
1: it's important to have that perspective because a lot of times we go out and we want to like apply all these testing principles or monitoring protocols with our athletes and truthfully a lot of times like they don't give a shit yeah they really don't. <laughs> and so that's a really, really valuable perspective that I took away from that. Um,
0: but yeah, yeah so. that's, and that's,
1: plus. That <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think I love what it really stood out to me there is you found people that took time out of their day to make you better and not just once in a while. It sounds like all the time. And I, I think, That's like one of the biggest takeaways I want to get from like these Wednesday episodes of the podcast is I want to hear from people that found that so that other people can realize it's out there and you need to find it. Don't just settle for the thing that is immediately in front of you, which I think I have done sometimes uh, because and I haven't like taken that extra step to seek out people that are willing to do that for me, you know. Um, this is not an indictment on anyone that I've experienced and worked with in my career. It's more just internally. I know I could have done more to put myself in a more favorable situation, you know?
1: And I mean, it's no secret. I'm a people person and there's just certain people I'm drawn to and that I connect with. And I really try to listen to that when my inner voice is like, yes, go chase this person. Like try to get on board with what they're doing. Like, try to pull your chair up to their desk every chance you get to bug them and poke them in the shoulder and ask them questions and just try to be a part of everything that they're doing. Uh, it's absolutely worth it. I mean, that's how I ended up going to ETSU in the first place for the internship. That's how I ended up back at ETSU and yeah, your connections just keep carrying you.
0: So uh, we, we talked about this too, uh, uh, on the phone the other day when we were just meeting up. Um, what about, how much of a, a research capacity were you in there on the student side of things? Were you more, is it was it more practical, your master's, or was it more research-based?
1: Yeah, um, on the whole, I would say it was more practical, and that was more so by choice and kind of how I crafted my time there. One of the nice things about ETSU is that you can, you can really craft your own path. No one's, no one's going to give you this itinerary and say, this is what you're doing. They have a thesis option, they have a capstone option where you basically do some sort of data analysis presentation without any publication or formal IRB data collection process, um, which is definitely a lot more doable, if you will. Uh, But then they also assign each uh, master's student to work with a team either at ETSU or at Milligan College. Um, which is an NAIA school, so you're guaranteed a practical experience, and then the research side of things is kind of up to you, and you can kind of make it what you want, so um, I spent most of my time in the weight room. I was kind of like a catch-all, come to the weight room, help out with whatever team you want to help out with, especially the first year when I was training full-time for weightlifting, Um, and I worked with men's soccer, women's soccer, and primarily men's baseball, Um, and then the following, yeah, this past, uh, this past fall, I worked with just men's soccer. Um, as far as research goes, I started getting involved in research when I was there as an intern. So that was my junior year of my undergrad. Uh, John Waggle was doing his dissertation study on accentuated eccentric loading in the back squat in different set configurations. And so every morning at 6 a.m., we'd go in the lab. There would be a subject there. They would do the squatting protocol with weight releasers on the force plates with the potentiometers, um, so just tracking displacement and bar velocity, and they had EMG on. And my job was to hold the EMG portal signal thing where all the signals came in. That was my job. And I owned the crap out of holding that EMG. (laughs) John Waggle will tell you, like no matter what present or no matter what opportunity you're presented with in terms of research take it like even if it's as menial as holding that EMG thing because that led to me connecting with Aaron that like catapulted me into that whole weightlifting journey I went down and I would have never connected with Aaron if we didn't spend every morning sitting next to each other with me holding the EMG thing and him hitting the start go button on the force plates like that's where (laughs) it starts and so My second kind of research experience was Aaron was getting ready to head down to the Pan American Weightlifting Championships in Miami uh, to collect data for his dissertation. He was doing a like bar path analysis, kinetics, kinematics. So basically set up a a GoPro camera at the side of the platform. And I said, wow, that sounds really cool. Do you think I can come? He's like, you want to
0: set up a camera and sit there the rest of the day. You're like, yeah, of course.
1: Four four days, And I was like, "Uh, yeah, please. And so he was like, I mean, I guess like you have to ask, you know, John, your internship supervisor, you have to ask Doc and Meg. And so I asked them and they said, yeah, I mean, if you want to pay to go down to Miami, like with your own money and go do that. Sure. So that's what I did. So I went to went down to a good old Florida Everglades with Aaron and I sat for 14 hours a day and pressed stop start on a GoPro camera.
0: Did you mess up at all? Any mishaps?
1: Yeah, we do have a couple videos we missed for sure. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so I did that for 14 hours a day for what four or five days straight and as menial as that sounds, I met so many incredible people in the weightlifting community that I still get to connect with that led to other internship opportunities that I've had. So, I mean, just get getting involved, I think, is step one. Um, I didn't end up doing a thesis, but I was able to be involved in a lot of projects and then further kind of help Aaron see his dissertation to fruition and publication. So, yeah.
0: You're, you're nailing this. This is exactly what I think coaches need to hear all the time. Like everything you said, like, and this is not, a, I don't mean it's an insult. You're doing unremarkable things in a remarkable manner and it's drawing people to you and creating opportunities for yourself. It's brilliant. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you. No, I'm excited to share my story. Really, really <laughs> No,
0: that's, that's good. So let's transition now into the, the female strength coach side of things because I know we wanted to talk about that. You had a nice poster you sent me, that you said you worked on a couple years ago at UVM, uh, just regarding kind of almost the the status of strength coaches or female strength coaches in the industry right now. Tell me a little bit about that poster, and then um, we can obviously have a conversation about that.
1: Yeah um so that poster was something that i created as a an attempt at my own conference proceeding my first piece of research and one of the still very few that exists um and so yeah my uh my mentors aaron and john helped support me in creating that and said you know what are you curious about what do you want to learn about go find some literature on it and basically do a lit review and um propose some future research inquiry so I dabbled in a couple of things I scrapped quite a few projects and I, I always was curious about the status of of women and females and strength and conditioning because Meg Ritchie Stone who is uh, one of the directors of the ETSU program was the first female strength coach at a division one football program in 1984 in Arizona and so like being alongside somebody that remarkable and a pioneer like her every day uh, definitely had me curious about her early days in the profession and where we're at now and then I was the first female intern slash assistant strength coach to be at UVM Um, and then I mean just noticing time and time again that there were very few females in the weight room Um, and so I kind of dived in some literature basically found out that there's been a very slow steady increase from like 1998 to 2015. And then there wasn't a lot of research past 2015. It seems like about 15% of strength coaches are females. Um, and that was just at the Division One level. Uh, hard to differentiate between divisions. Obviously, not a ton of research out there. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, was there wasn't a lot of uh, wasn't a lot of research on uh, women in leadership positions or women who were directors of high performance or uh, director of strength and conditioning. Um, one thing that I was able to find was that there are a heck of a lot more men working with revenue sports than than women. So if you look at the breakdown there, I think it was something like, I don't know. 75% of the time that female strength coaches spend on the floor is with non-revenue sports whereas I don't remember the exact numbers uh men were like i don't know 60 to 70% of their time was spent with revenue sports mm-hmm. so that was really eye opening to me that you know men are working with revenue sports and those are definitely like bigger kind of money areas and um areas where you're going to get more pressed as a strength coach potentially a little bit more um a little bit more attention so yeah kind of the gist of where things
0: are at but um so in your experience then I mean like you said you see you you this what was causing this was you weren't seeing a lot of females in the industry or anything you've now been doing this for a few years um do you think the conversation uh is where it needs to be when we have this discussion or or are you seeing it shifting in a good or a bad way right now um in terms of just females in the profession
1: yeah I mean I haven't had a lot of conversations about it since I was working on this project. Um, one thing I will say anecdotally that I have noticed is there have been maybe three or four more strength coaches who have who are females that have come to work at UVM um, like student interns, assistant strength coaches. So since my time there there's been quite a few more females in the door which is awesome that totally fires me up. And then um, another thing is I was just in the final interview process for um, a kind of high performance internship position and it was a group interview and I got on the, (laughs) I got on the call and there were three of the four candidates on already. We were waiting for one more and they were all women and I was like, just waiting for this last person. I was like, if this is another chick, my mind is gonna be blown. I don't think <laughs> I've ever like, sat down in any formal interview with any other chicks. Like, this is amazing. And then, <laughs> so on my call, three out of four of the candidates were women. And then I found, come to find out, five of the eight total final candidates were women. Um, they that's outstanding, with, that's good. Yeah, they went with four finalists. Um, luckily i was one of them and so it ended up being two guys two girls um that they picked for the, the four positions but yeah that that blew my mind and so i'm super excited to see that there are more women making it to those final interviews and that um companies are realizing a need for diversity in their coaching staff um and i think that diversity in your coaching staff doesn't only come from a demographic standpoint like skin color or gender. I mean, of course it comes in the form of education, background, coaching, uh, coaching style, et cetera. But I think it's super important that when people go out to hire, that they're looking to hire somebody who's different from themselves instead of just another version of
0: something that they might be easily comfortable with, but might not necessarily uh, bridge the gap for some of the athletes that are in the building, you know?
1: Yeah. So I guess, I guess that doesn't really, doesn't necessarily answer the question, but uh, well, we can,
0: we can take it a step further. So, so like, so like I said, before we got on today, my perception right now, and again, this is just my perception. And I know, I think I'm surrounding myself like in my, in my network and on social media and stuff, I'm surrounding myself with people who are pushing this agenda in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I, I'm not, ex- I don't think I'm exposed to the other side of it. That might not be as fav like look and fa- look at this as a, as a good thing or they're not favoring it. Um, so obviously, again, take my anecdotal experience with a grain of salt, but I see the conversation, especially in the last year, like really moving in a good direction. Um, I mean, I was interviewed last year for a high performance position by a woman who was the director of performance for the entire thing, you know. And like, yeah. again, like I, I think to me, in my mind, I just want the best people doing the work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't care.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah. Let the best candidate win. Let the best candidate get the job. And so, like, I, I don't think I've ever taken um like my failure to achieve uh, getting any position as like a, a reflection of my gender um like let the best coaches be the best coaches uh on the floor so I completely agree in that sense and I do think the conversation is headed in a really positive direction and I am seeing growth I mean the research papers to support that might not be there but I think anecdotally and um in our own subjective experiences I think we can all agree that things are moving in a really good direction um yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is, uh, I don't know if you've heard anything about Rachel uh, Balkovic's story Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: MLB, but like she, like, yeah, I'm over here saying, yeah, use your, use your gender as your superpower. And she's over there uh, basically lying about her name on the resume and putting her name on there as Ray instead of rachel
0: i didn't know that i haven't heard that actually
1: no, she, did. she had to do that and then i that was like the first stage and then they asked to have like a video interview with her and they got on the, the video and <laughs> like wait you're chick like,
0: like <laughs> this was this what? for the yankees wait, job
1: it says your name is ray i can't remember which job it was. Okay. I don't think it was yankees i think it was you know one of the ones before that but it wasn't okay like wait it says your name's Ray and she's like yeah Ray Rachel whatever and <laughs> they were like
0: <laughs> that's so, so good I
1: like the fact that she felt like she needed to to change her name on a resume I think that says something and I mean obviously it's different and in, in every sport and every organization so it's really hard it's hard to tell um, globally but I think just in my own little community and circle I've seen a lot of positives which I'm I'm really happy to see that.
0: Well, I think that's important because, I mean, again, like we want the entire big picture to be inclusive of the right people. Um, But I I feel like sometimes we forget, like a lot of us are too small to have control over such a large thing. So if we're just seeing positives within our small communities and then helping create them in our small communities, like that's where this starts, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I always say to like aspiring young professionals, like, you don't have to reach out to the big dogs, like the top dogs for mentorship. You can just reach out to that one person in your community who's maybe one step ahead of you in the process. So like when I look to give back to the profession, I look to give back to the kids who are maybe one or two cohorts before me in in my undergrad or in grad school um, and like check in with them and challenge their thinking and engage in conversation with them and help them kind of see their potential and their light in the industry. So, yeah. Keep it keep it close to home,
0: people. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that's a great message. And yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I I will fall into that trap sometimes of like, well, I mean, I mean, I've made it clear in this podcast, like I have an aspiration to be in a high performance environment, um, and that requires me to kind of reach out to people that might be considered the big dogs. But at the same time, I've we'll always tried to maintain like we can't leave behind the other strength coaches, and it's a twofold reason. One, if you're gonna act in your own best interests, like you don't be a dick to anyone and help everyone out, you know. And then for and then for two, like we need to continue moving the profession forward. Like we're at an interesting time right now. And I don't think a lot of people think about this too often, but we're at an interesting time. I think in strength and conditioning where some of what we've done for the last 20 years is about ready to be proven to be like, not as important as we think or somewhat irrelevant. And so we have to keep moving forward and, and making sure we're changing the narrative and the teaching tools that we give to our, our younger coaches and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, just to go off of that, it's super important that we're creating positive environments for the student athletes that we work with so that they're inspired to go and be a part of this profession when they're done with their sporting career. Um, you know, if someone has a negative experience while they're a college athlete, they're probably not going to want to go into strength and conditioning, continue to be in that environment. They're probably going to get as far away as they can. So I think that we have to think long-term when we're coaching either in the private sector or in the collegiate setting and know that, you know, we're working with a lot of impressionable young people who are potentially going to be sitting in our very shoes, sitting in our shoes, um, you know, five, 10 years down the line.
0: That's an outstanding point. Yep. Yep. Definitely agree. So uh, so to wrap things up, where are we going from here uh, for for you? What, what's, uh, what's the plan? What are some of the goals? What are you trying to knock out right now?
1: Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. And it's funny because over the last couple of years, uh, there were a couple career goals I had that I was super confident were the things that I was going to end up doing. And I think I just use that as like a cop out so that I wouldn't have to say, I don't know when people ask me what I was doing. Like so many young people are plagued with that question, especially as they're finishing up grad school. Like, what are you gonna do? What's your career goal? And I just love being able to have an answer even if in my heart, I was like, I don't really know if I want that. Um, But now I'm finally at a point in my life where I can confidently say, I don't know, Um, (laughs) so I have some ideas. Um, I really have been entertaining the possibility of working with um, action sport athletes. I mountain bike myself, and I know that the sport is just booming right now, and there is not a whole lot of strength training going on within that community, and being a rider and being someone who takes resistance training, pretty seriously, um, I know the positive effect that it has um, on your ability as a rider and your ability to hold positions on a bike for an extended period of time, just postural strength, postural endurance, not getting forearm grip pump when you're going down a long downhill on your bike. Um, and so that's an, that's kind of an idea I've had floating around. There's a few people out here in this industry doing things really well that um, I'm, I'm hopeful to connect with in the future. Um, for the short term, uh, I thought a really great place to start would be uh, the high performance internship with US Ski and Snowboard, and I will say that yes, I was offered a position in the internship program, but unfortunately, <laughs> due to the pandemic, um, they, had, they had to cancel <laughs> for the summer, so luckily they're, you know, holding our spot for us going into uh Next summer's internship program. So if I'm still available and interested, I'm I'm really hopeful that I'll be able to take advantage of that awesome opportunity, um, and then potentially getting involved with some of the local ski snowboard academies in Vermont um, and help them get some sort of performance program up and running. As I know that that's that's a local kind of need that my community has right now. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I'm coaching CrossFit. So it's funny I'm kind of right back where I wanted. To <laughs> 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 but yeah so back coaching CrossFit coaching Olympic weightlifting um bartending doing what I need to 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 make the ends meet as I roll into whatever life has to offer
0: that's yeah. awesome that's really good um anything you want to plug uh how can people get in touch with you any projects whatever you want
1: yeah um Instagram is usually the best place to get in touch with me um I have two accounts uh, my personal account is at underscore K Ushakova. So K -K U-S-H-A-K-O-V-A. I'm sure Jack will plug that in the show notes. And then my coaching Instagram is at pushakova performance. So it's P Ushakova. My middle name is Paulina. So that's where the, that's where the P came from. (laughs) And, um, as a weightlifter, you do a lot of pushing your feet into the floor to move a barbell, so that was a nickname that uh, was given to me by my weightlifting coach, and I've I've held it close to my heart. So pushakova Performance is my coaching Instagram. Uh, I have a website, it's pushakovaperformance.com. I rarely update it. Uh, You're more than welcome to check it out, but- Now's the time,
0: we got nothing but time. Well, maybe you don't, sounds like you have some jobs. I I would have nothing but time, so. (laughs)
1: Yeah, no, it's funny, the last time I updated it was when I had wisdom teeth surgery uh, last month. And I was like, well, I'm on the couch for three days, I might as well update my website. So that was the last time I updated it. You're more than welcome to check it out. Um, Yeah hit me up on Instagram. If you want to chat, send me a DM. I'll give you my email or my phone number. I can hop on FaceTime, Skype, zoom with anybody during the next few weeks as we all figure out how to, how to be most productive with our time and take care of ourselves. So yeah, I hope people will take the opportunity to reach out and connect.
0: Christina, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And then, uh, Let's get you back on when you're uh, the action sports expert on the the East Coast or something like that. And you can get one of the Monday slots. So one of the prestigious Monday slots.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jack. I so appreciate you. This has been a blast. Not a
0: problem. Thank you so much, Christina.